The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to everybody here. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ this morning to all of you who are with us and uh, attending for the first time, even visitors, I want to throw out a special welcome to you. We're really, really always honored to have you with us and grateful for your presence. And I wanted to just echo what Ben said last week uh, when he thanked all of our incredible guest preachers. Let's give them a round of applause from this summer. Just really wonderful to, to hear from so many fantastic voices from both inside and outside our congregation. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be back with you this morning. And visitors, I also wanted to say, if you want to connect with us in some way or allow us to connect with you, go ahead and fill out a visitor card. We've got those in the lobby, and we've also got them online if you scan the QR code in your Sunday sheet. Uh, but we'd love a chance to connect with you, get to know you a little bit, and maybe know how we can serve you and maybe how you could serve in this church. So we're really glad that you're with us this morning. And it's actually a good Sunday to be here because there's also a great event happening tonight that you can come to. At 5 p.m., we have our back-to-school carnival here at the Springs. It'll be from 5 to 7. Going to be lots of fun, lots of games, food. It'll be a great time. I even heard there might be a dunk tank. Maybe there might be some elders, ministers, preacher in the dunk tank, so... You might have to just come and find out, but I uh, want to invite you to that tonight at five, or don't come. That's fine. We can just sit in the dunk tank with nobody to dunk us. But we're continuing our series this morning, The Word of the Lord, and we're actually in the book of First Kings once again this morning in chapter 2, 10 through 12, and 3, 3 through 14. So I'll read our text and I'll say the word of the Lord and you can respond with thanks be to God. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, although I'm only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant 
therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do give thanks for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light on our path. Lord, let this word illuminate our path this morning. Illuminate our hearts that we might see in them and see how you want to change us, God, further and further into your image. God, I ask for the gift of preaching and we ask for that light of your Holy Spirit's illumination this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what I should give you. This is a pretty famous story. Solomon's a pretty famous king. Even if you haven't grown up in the church, you probably have heard of King Solomon because the name King Solomon is synonymous with wise king. And this is the beginning of Solomon's story. This is the beginning when God comes to Solomon in a dream and says, ask what I should give you. God comes to Solomon with this kind of divine blank check. He says, ask what I should give you. What do you want? Ask what I should give you. I was reminded of when I first came down to Oklahoma Christian in 2008, and one of the first places I came when I moved down here was to go with my parents to Bank of America uh, to set up a bank account to try and become an adult in the making somewhat. And I still bank with Bank of America, and I have to say I really do like their mobile app, and it's, it's pretty well designed. And every time I click on that app on my iPhone, this screen pops up. Just the Bank of America logo and a single question. What would you like the power to do? What would you like the power to do? That really is the sales pitch of Bank of America, right? The sales pitch even of the so-called American dream, right? That if you open up that app and there's a big enough number on the screen, you've got power. You can shape the world around you in distinct ways to your liking, right? Now, the biggest number on my screen when I open that up happens to be the mortgage I owe Bank of America, but that's neither here nor there. But it's a tantalizing question, right? What would you like the power to do? And it's similar to the question that God comes to Solomon with. Ask, what should I give you? Ask, and it's yours. And really, unlike Bank of America, God 
has supreme power to donate to Solomon. Solomon is king, he really can shape the world and God comes to him with this divine blank check and says, what do you want? And so Solomon responds. In verse six, it says that Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Solomon is overwhelmed. He sounds pretty overwhelmed staring down the responsibilities on his plate. Any of you ever been there? all the time, Brett, every day. Solomon is looking at these immense tasks before him. This, I have to govern this great numberless people, this incredible responsibility. And he's overwhelmed. He's like, I'm just a child. I don't know what to do. Solomon knows what that feels like. And not only that, there's this added layer of the fact that Solomon has some big shoes to fill. Solomon is succeeding his father, King David, the King David, the buried in the city of David, King David. When you're buried in the city named for you, you've probably done something successful. And so Solomon has to, to follow up on his father, David, in this immense responsibility and task. I was actually reminded of a photo I saw posted online a few years ago, actually by the musician Weird Al Yankovic. Any Weird Al fans in here? Yeah, he, he writes parody songs, comedy songs. Um, he's actually had a long and successful career, though, as you can see in this photo that he posted with all the gold and platinum records on his wall. And so Weird Al posted this photo online several years ago, and, and he captioned it. He said, just started giving my daughter piano lessons. No pressure. No pressure staring at the wall of my wild success. No pressure staring at the gold and platinum records that my piano skills eked out, but let's stick with the arpeggios. Here we go. That's quite a daunting view to begin your journey from. And that's a little bit like the view that Solomon has, right? He's staring at the gold and platinum records of the King David, right? Author of Psalm 23, King David. Forty years reigning on the throne. And Solomon is overwhelmed. He's got big shoes to fill. But he also chooses to look at it a little differently, Solomon also sees on that wall of David's accomplishments a record of God's faithfulness, right? He sees the gold and the platinum records, and, and this is how he begins. He says, God, you've been faithful. I see your steadfast love in the way that you were with my father David, and case in point, me. Here I am, the heir to the throne that you promised my father, and I'm here. So Solomon begins with gratitude for these past gifts from God. But we still haven't gotten to his answer, 
right? God has brought this tantalizing offer before Solomon. He says, ask what I should give you. And finally, in verse nine, Solomon gets to his answer. And he says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? An understanding mind. Everybody starting school says amen to that, right? God, give me an understanding mind. Help me to understand this organic chemistry. But the literal Hebrew uh, of what Solomon's actually saying is, is interesting. Um, because in the original language that Kings was written in, Solomon's actually asking for a hearing heart. God, give me a hearing heart. Now, as we've discussed before, when the Bible talks about heart, it doesn't talk about it with the same kind of dualism that we use, right? We talk about the head and the heart, the thinking and the feeling, thoughts and emotions, But the Bible doesn't quite separate it like that. The heart, yes, has passions, emotions in scripture, but it also includes thought, it includes understanding, it includes the mind. And even beyond that, it includes the will, it includes the ability to obey, right? So Solomon asked for an understanding mind, he asked for a hearing heart. He asked God to be attuned to God's ways in the world and able to wisely obey them. He says, God, give me a hearing heart. And he has to ask for it, which I think is evidence that this is not always our default state. All right? Oftentimes we don't have hearing hearts, do we? Oftentimes, in fact, our hearts are hard of hearing. All right? Our hearts are, are stopped up. They can't hear, they can't discern, they don't understand. And I think there's many reasons we could talk about for why our hearts can be hard of hearing, but I just wanted to look at three different reasons this morning, three reasons for the fact that our hearts are hard of hearing. And and the first one comes to us from the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 17, verse nine, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the first reason our hearts are hard of hearing is that they're deceived, right? They're deceitful and deceived. They mislead and they're misled, often by themselves, right? Our hearts don't always want to actually hear the sound that's out there. They want to hear what they want to hear. Jeremiah says they're deceitful above all things, in fact, I was uh, thinking about this earlier this week, revisiting a, a TED Talk I'd seen online uh, by Dr. Tara Urich. And this TED Talk was about increasing your self-awareness. And so she and her team were kind of trying to show people how they can become more self-aware. But before she does that, she has to kind of define what self-awareness is and kind of lay out the lay of the land. And so she defines self-awareness as this ability to see ourselves clearly, right? This ability to kind of see who we are, see how people perceive us and understand how we fit into the world. And what she and her team found out in their research is that there's really two kinds of people in the world. There's 
those who think they're self-aware and those who actually are self-aware. And what she found is that about 95% of people think they're self-aware. 95%, that's, that's most of us, that's almost all of us. But what her team found out using their criteria was that really the number of people who are actually self-aware, closer to about 10 to 15%. That's quite the gap. That's, that's quite the discrepancy. In fact, the way she phrases it is that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. <laughs> the heart is deceitful, right? We, we have a hard time perceiving, understanding, and hearing what's true because we'd rather hear what we want to hear. And Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful, and that's how it's hard of hearing. But that's not the only way. Another reason that the heart is hard of hearing is because it's distracted. Right? The heart is distracted. There's so many sounds coming at us, so much noise coming to our hearts. Right? That, that the sounds of life, the symphony of life, sounds more like a cacophony. Solomon gets at this a little bit, right? He talks about just the number of people that are in his charge, right? He, one of the reasons it's such an overwhelming task is that there's just so many people, and he's got to judge and discern right from wrong between all these people. There's so much noise, and our hearts become distracted. I think we probably know this just about as well as any group of human beings have ever known this, right? We might be the most distraction-prone generation group of human beings in the history of humanity, right? Because we've got the internet. And when we spent a whole series talking about the wonderful, life-saving things that the internet has provided our world, but one of the things it hasn't saved is our attention spans. One of the things that hasn't necessarily benefited is our focus. And so we become distracted because everything is at our fingertips. In fact, there's a comedian earlier this year who released a special that he had written during the pandemic. His name is Bo Burnham. And a friend of mine, I haven't seen the special, but he sent me one of the songs from this special. It's called Welcome to the Internet. And the bridge of that song he says, could I interest you in everything, all of the time? A little bit of everything, all of the time. Apathy's a tragedy, and boredom is a crime. Anything and everything, all of the time. Welcome to the internet. No wonder we're distracted. Right? No wonder it's hard to filter through the noise and, and see what is actually worthy of our attention, what is actually worthy of being heard. But I think the third way that our hearts are often hard of hearing is because they're detached. And sometimes our hearts are detached from the realities they're trying to understand. That, that we don't actually want to invest our lives and our livelihoods in living out what we know. We just want to sit back and know, 
right? We just want to think. We want to gather strong opinions, but not actually invest in living them out, right? So our hearts are detached, and Jesus talks a little towards this, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he describes the people who actually put his words into practice. He says that everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. A hearing heart, remember there's that aspect of will and obedience that Solomon is actually asking for. That not only does he want to discern, but he wants to put these into practice to actually live out his life. But when we detach our hearts, we can't hear so well. In fact, Jonathan Haidt, he cites this study that some folks did about moral philosophers. So these people wanted to find out moral philosophers. They're spending all their time thinking about right from wrong, thinking about what is good, what makes a human being good. So these researchers wanted to know, well, are moral philosophers better people than other people? Right? They're, they're thinking so often about right and wrong. Are they a more righteous group of people? So these researchers used kind of these secret ways of gathering information about moral philosophers to kind of see how they behaved in all these different categories. So they, they wanted to see how often they donate to charity, how often they donate blood, how often they vote, how often they donate organs or call their mother or pick up after themselves at philosophy conferences or answer their students' emails. And what these researchers found was that in none of those categories do moral philosophers perform better than other professors. Do they perform better than other philosophers? In none of those categories. In fact, they even looked at ethics books checked out from libraries and found that books on ethics, books on right and wrong, are oftentimes not returned or stolen more than other books. We can't just think our way to a hearing heart. There's an aspect of attachment, of investment, of practical living that's involved with a hearing, obedient heart. And that's what Solomon wants, right? Remember, Solomon doesn't want to just be a philosopher in an ivory tower, right? He wants to actually govern people. That's one of the reasons he lists when he tells God, I want a hearing heart. He says, to govern this, your people, right? So that he can actually make an impact for the good of God's chosen people. So he can lead righteously, faithfully, God's nation, Israel. Solomon doesn't want a detached heart. And this is precisely what God admires about Solomon. Right? We finally get God's response to Solomon's answer in verses 10 through 12. It says that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. So we find out that this story is as much about what Solomon doesn't ask for 
as what he asked for. Right, Solomon asks for a hearing heart. He doesn't ask for the three things that every king, queen, emperor, tribal leader have wanted in the history of humankind. Long life, wealth, military success. That's what everybody has wanted forever. Every leader of a group of people has wanted those three things. And God says, Solomon, you didn't ask for that. And I'm pleased with that. Solomon doesn't, doesn't want to reach for those things. Solomon doesn't want to, to reach for a kingship of glory. Solomon wants a kingship of wisdom, a kingship of humility, a kingship of Deuteronomy, of righteousness. That's what Solomon's aiming for. And so he asked for a hearing heart. And the sad part of Solomon's story, if you remember, is that eventually his heart turns away. Solomon starts out, he starts out with with great promise, right? He is this promise of a a wise king for Israel. But by 1 Kings chapter 11, his heart has been turned away from God. It's become hard of hearing. Solomon is the promise of a wise king. But we have to wait a little while for the fulfillment. Solomon is the promise. But we have to wait until Christ. We have to wait until Messiah. We have to wait until King Jesus for the fulfillment of a truly wise king. Because it is Jesus, above all, who doesn't grasp at a kingship of glory, but empties himself for a kingship of humility. Empties himself for a kingship of wisdom, a kingship even of humiliation. It's Jesus whose heart hears the ways of God in the world, hears the truth of God in the world, and responds to that, actually has the will to obey, to follow through from Gethsemane all the way to Calvary. It is Jesus who is the fulfillment, the only wise king, the one who actually offers us a way beyond deception. Jesus who actually offers us a way beyond distraction, offers us a way beyond detachment, right? Jesus offers us a truth that heals and banishes the deceptions of our hearts that hold us captive. Jesus offers us a filter that focuses our hearts and minds on the ways of God in the world. Jesus attaches us, leads us further into that world to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. It is Jesus whose heart bleeds and reconciles and brings peace between God and humankind. And Jesus who is crowned reigning with God at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is our only true wise king who calls us to live according to that kingdom of wisdom. And it's that Jesus, that only wise king that we stand and praise now, Springs Church.